Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 12, if you don't mind. We're starting a brand new series tonight that we're going to build upon with the foundation tonight and build upon it bit by bit by bit, dealing with the idea of the history of the Bible. How did we get our English Bible? Now, what we're trying to do in this series is take bite-sized pieces where we could examine the evidence, where we could give proof, that we could give some encouragement, that we're just not telling imaginary stories or trying to fill in gaps with just our thoughts. But we want to encourage you that there's real evidence and that there's a God who promised to preserve His Word. Now, starting off this message, we are talking about the preservation of Scripture. Now, we're not going to just belabor the point. Earlier this year, we had a series dealing with the Holy Scriptures, and we took time to talk about the theology of preservation. We took time to talk about the historical evidence of preservation, and we also give some examples of preservation. And so this year, we've already hit a lot of things and, about it, and you could go back and look at some of these things more in detail for yourself. But for this purpose, we once again are going to talk about preservation of Scripture for the idea of understanding the foundation that we're building upon with how we got our English Bible. And so if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 12, and we're going to notice verses 6 and 7. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. Notice what the Word of God says in Psalm 12, 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And if you have not already, would you mind to take some time, if you're in the habit of doing so, to mark a phrase that we find in the book of Psalms, Psalm 12, and in verse number 7, notice the phrase, Thou shalt preserve them. Thou shalt preserve them. And with the Lord's help, we're going to build a foundation tonight dealing with the idea of preservation of Scripture. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you for whom you are and that we can trust you and depend upon you. I'm thankful for the promises of your word and that we could depend upon them. And I'm asking that you would give us grace tonight. Lord, I'm asking that you would set aside any distraction, that you would set aside any objection, that you would give people open minds and open hearts, that you could teach them through your word and through the evidence, and that we could be convinced and that we could be confident that the Bible that we have in our hand is indeed the very Bible that you intended us to have. I'm asking that you would do a work and just nail this down for each person because we know Satan wants to do everything he can to keep the believer away from your word. Lord, because I know this is a spiritual work, I'm depending upon your Holy Spirit, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would get your own work accomplished. Help me to die to self. Help me to reckon myself dead and allow you to do your own work. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, as we start off, we know that in Psalm 6 and 7, it starts off by giving a description that the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. With this, let's kind of give this idea of the, that the words of the Lord are pure words. In here, it gives an illustration, um, a visual illustration of a visual picture dealing with the idea of the purity of God's word. Now in the ancient world, and we still practice the same concept today, that whenever someone would try to have a metal like gold or silver and that they would try to get it purified, what they would do is they would have a refinement process that they would actually boil down the <coughs> and heat up the metal. And because different uh, elements heat up at different temperatures, what would happen is that the gold or the silver would melt at a certain temperature, then everything else which were impurities would rise to the top of that melted metal. They would scrape off the top, which was called the dross. They would let it cool down and then they would redo it again. And the idea of the ancient world is that if you did this process seven times, that you would have as much or as close to a pure product as you possibly can. Now, when it deals with the scripture, it's not saying that the Bible went through a refinement process. What it is doing is trying to give that that idea that just like this is as pure metal as we could get, God's word is just as pure. Remember, God's word didn't need a refinement process because the author who wrote it is perfect. And that he didn't have to mess up. He didn't have to do revisions. He didn't have to uh, do a first draft, second draft, third draft. God knew what he was doing the first time. And that his words are pure words. So with that, let's kind of explore. We'll hit this part of it and then talk about the preservation. Now in Psalm 19, 7, I want you to look at this with me. Psalm 19, if you're in Psalm 12, just look with me in Psalm 19. And notice with me in verse 7. It says, the law of the Lord was perfect, converting the soul. Is that what it says? Does it say the testimonies of the Lord was sure? No, the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. We understand that is present tense. It's not past tense. The Bible does not say at one time it was perfect, but now we've got just this garbage. The Bible is saying that present tense, the law of the Lord is present tense perfect, converting the soul, and the testimony of the Lord is present tense sure, making wise the simple. That when we're speaking about the preservation of Scripture and the purity of God's Word, we're not speaking of something that was done in the past that we no longer have. But in fact, we are saying that it's continued to be pure today. Proverbs 30 verse 5, Every word of God is present tense pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in them. And over and over, we could give example after example where God, as he is speaking and giving this, he is telling us that the current, that his word currently present tense still is inspired, still is pure, still is exactly what he wanted to have. Now we're speaking again of the purity of God's word. Now we believe what the Bible says is more important and it overrides what man says. Now, this is important because man says some funny things. God says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Again, we're speaking that the Bible was not just preserved or perfect, pure in the past, but we're saying that God said that 
heaven and earth are going to pass away and God's unadulterated pure word is still going to last. We have the purity of God's word. Now, let me kind of give you an example in where I'm running through. Let's say that I was going to take you to lunch sometime this week. And so we need to come up with a time. So I told you, this week I want to take you out to lunch and I want you to meet me on Monday at 11. I want you to meet me at Tuesday at 2. I want you to meet me at Wednesday at 3. I want you to meet me at Thursday at noon. And guess what? We're just going to meet once this week. So here's the question. When do we meet? Well, I gave you the information. We're just going to meet once this week. When are we going to meet? Well, you may say, well, wait a second. You gave four different days and four different times. But, but I say that you just get the gist of the main message. We're getting out to lunch. That's the thing that's important is the message is we're going out to lunch. So as long as you have the message, then, then we're fine. Well, does that help you to know what time we're meeting for lunch? No, not at all. Why we're saying this is because <clears throat> just as silly as it say it doesn't matter about the Bible as long as we get across the great the message, it is not the same thing. That God gave the words of Scripture and He was trying to intend not just a meaning, but He wanted the very words to get across exactly what He meant, not the main idea of the message. It does matter. This is God's word, and he wants us to understand what he is saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that's important. The very first uh, <coughs> word of this passage is what? All. When God says all, what does he mean? All. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means God breathed it. God gave it. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, the perfect word of God... <coughs> sorry. Now, what I'm going to show you is a, um, a statement of faith that is found in a lot of churches today. They will say the perfect word of God given originally is still the perfect word of God today. Excuse me, I'm jumping ahead. We understand the perfect word of God, God gave originally, is still the currently present tense perfect word of God today. Does that make sense? We believe that, that God still has a perfect word of God and we can have it and we can know it. The word of God that gave to, God gave to Moses or David or Paul in the writing, those are called the originals. This is where I'm heading to because this idea of originals is important. You need to understand the definition that the very first time that Paul wrote down the book of Ephesians and he wrote the letter to Ephesians, that letter that he wrote to was called the original. When Paul or when David wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. When he first wrote that down on the piece of paper that he wrote it down on or whatever he wrote it on, that is called the original. Does that make sense? Now, this is going to be important as we start defining our terms. We have to understand that this is word original is going to be very important. Now, where I was going to before. A common statement of faith that many churches have today is this. We believe the Bible to be the word of God in the original writings. This is a common statement of faith. In fact, I took some time today to look at several churches just to double check that I wasn't hallucinating. And guess what? 
many of them have this as their statement of faith, that we believe what, what we believe about the scriptures. Now, everything else in their statement of faith is agreeable. What they believe to be about God, what they believe to be about salvation, what they believe about Christ, what they believe about the church. But this first statement dealing with the Bible, they will say, we believe the Bible to be the word of God in the original writings. Now, there's a problem with that. That means that they don't believe anything because we don't have the originals. There is nowhere where you could find the original letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesians. You cannot find the original manuscript, the original parchment, vellum, whatever David wrote on, on Psalm 23. They no longer exist. They're gone. We do not have any of the original writings. Does that make sense? So having a statement of faith like that just says they don't believe anything because they don't have anything present tense that they could believe in. Does that make sense? All 66 originals are gone and currently do not exist. So if we don't have any of the originals, how can we be confident that the Bible we have is a perfect rendering of the original writings? That is a good question. And that's what we're trying to answer throughout this whole series. That if we do not have the originals, how can we be sure that the Bible that you have in your lap, the Bible that I have up here, the Bible that we have, how can we have any confidence that this is exactly what God wanted us to have if we don't have the originals to compare it to. Does that make sense? Good question. So let me ask a follow-up question. What is the only way we know that we're going to heaven? Well, we have to believe God and His promises. God told us in His Word, and we have to believe God. We believe it by faith, right? I have never been to heaven. How do I know I'm going there? Because God said I'm going there. I believe in God. So, what is the only way that we could trust our Bible? Because we must believe in God. The same manner, we are trusting Him by faith in His promises and what He said He was going to do. So, let's actually talk about the preservation of Scripture. Go back with me to Psalm 12, if you don't mind. Psalm 12. The Bible says in Psalm 12, we read it before, let's look at it again. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. We had spoken about that, that it's talking about the purity of God's word. And we explained that the purity of God's word carries through present tense. Notice with me in verse 7. Thou shall keep them, O Lord, thou shall preserve them from this generation forever. In verse 7, we have a lot of parts of speech called a pronoun. A pronoun is a, is a word that replaces a noun. So if we're going to have the understanding, we have to see what is the pronoun replacing. For example, we have the word in verse 7, thou. So this thou, who is this thou? This is going to be very important for understanding and discerning this. Who is this thou? Well, if you notice, it has the word of direct address. Thou shall keep them, O Lord. So we can see who's that thou? It's God. That's who's being addressed to. That is who's being spoken to in here. That it is this thou is God. Now, may I emphasize that that thou is not man. It's not man's job to keep them. It's God's job. Now, with that, we have another pronoun to pay attention to. We have the word them. Thou shall keep them, O Lord. Thou shall preserve them. 
All right, so here's another pronoun. What is this? What is the antecedent? What is this pronoun replacing? Well, it's replacing in the context the words of the Lord. Inside of the context, the natural reading, we understand that this them is referring to the noun subject that it was brought beforehand, the words of the Lord. So notice what it says in verse 7. Thou, O Lord, God who is who we're addressing, thou shall keep them, the words of God, O Lord. Thou, God, shall preserve the words of the Lord. Now this is a wonderful promise because we see it's not man's job to preserve God's word. Because anything that's left to us, we're going to mess it up. God promised to preserve his word. And we can trust that God will keep his promise. Isn't that great? God promised that he, not man, would preserve his words. So that means just like inspiration is a supernatural doctrine. What do I mean by that? God gave us the scriptures. Man didn't come up with it. God gave us the scriptures. That just as inspiration is a supernatural doctrine, preservation is just as supernatural, meaning outside of nature, God is promised to preserve his word outside of nature. He is keeping his word. It is a supernatural doctrine, God's responsibility. Now, what if a Bible writer lost the manuscript that he wrote? So we know that they're a human penman. Let's say that he was clumsy or something happened and he's writing down, God's telling them what to write down, he's putting it down and then he loses that manuscript. I mean, you don't lose things, do you? Have you lost something important? What would happen if a Bible writer lost, would all be lost if he couldn't remember every detail? Well, if it was up to him, yes, but it's not up to him. God knew what he was doing. God is the author and God doesn't forget anything. God would know what was originally written. Does that make sense? It's not up to man. We can lose, lose things, mess things up. But since God wrote it, he, know what he, he knew what he was written down. Let me give an example. In the book of Exodus chapter 31, notice what it says with me. It says, and he, that's God, gave to Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. So who wrote this? God did. Now, Moses is up on the mountain. Who's the only one that's looking at this manuscript? Moses. Good. So Moses is the only one that's seen it right now. Has anyone else seen it? Okay, good. Now, as we go on through that passage, as he finishes, guess what? Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both the sides, one side and the other, they were written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. Once again, we're having the emphasis, once again, God wrote his word. He knew what he wrote down. And Moses right now is the only person that's seen it. Now, while God was giving Moses the tables, the children of Israel were making a golden calf and they were worshiping it. Now, that's not a good thing. So while Moses is gone, they're playing, they're getting in trouble, they're getting involved with sin, they're breaking almost every single one of the Ten Commandments at this time. So what happens? And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh to the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger was waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hand and broke them beneath the mount. You know what that means? 
nobody saw what was on that original writing. Just Moses. The original copy of the Word of God was destroyed before anybody but Moses saw that. Now, notice what happens here. Verse number 34, or chapter 34, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. So this is the second version. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. Now, who was responsible of giving the second copy? God was. Did God say, well, you know what, Moses, you messed up. How am I supposed to remember? I worked so hard at getting the wording right. How am I going to get the exact copy done? Now, I don't know if you've ever written something and then lost something and now you have to reproduce it. It never comes out the same. So is God saying, Moses, you don't, what did you do? God wasn't worried about it at all because he knew exactly what was on the first one and he could give exactly what it needed to happen on the second one. <clears throat> so he says, I will write upon these tables the words that were written in the first. Now for the next 2,000 years until Jesus came, the people's lives depended upon obedience to the word of God and guess what? They never saw the original manuscript. They were obeying a copy. And yet their whole lives were dependent on obeying the law. Right? The copy was just as much as God's word as the original was. Because we understand that God's inspiration will carry through present tense. It's not the original manuscripts. It is God's word that God promised to preserve. Why? God who inspired the original was just as capable of his inspiring the copy that came after it. Because it is a supernatural doctrine. Now, how about this? Is there any other examples of the originals being destroyed and the copy carrying through with inspiration? You bet. Let's look. Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter 36, notice what it says. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Oops. Take thee a roll of the book, and I will write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations, from the day that I spoke unto thee, from the days of Josiah even to this day. Now notice this. God is saying to Jeremiah, I'm going to give you the words that I spoke against here. So Jeremiah, you listen. I give you the words. Let's write them down. Now after Jeremiah wrote them down, they were presented to the king. And they went into the king in the court, but they laid up the roll, the roll, the original manuscript that Jeremiah was penned with the mouth of God. But they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elisha, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudiai to fetch the roll, and he, the king, or sorry, Jehudiai, took it out of Elishma the scribe's chamber. And Jehudiah read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. So here is the original writing from Jeremiah as God had given to him. And now the king now has the original writing. He is looking at it and he's reading what God has given to him in the book of Jeremiah. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. 
And it came to pass when Jehudiai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife and cast it in the fire that was on the hearth until the, all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. So here is the original writing of Jeremiah. The king gets in his hand. He doesn't like what it says. So let's get rid of it. Now we don't have to worry about it. You can almost imagine. Is this the only copy? Do you have any other copies? Have you told anyone else about it? Nope. Then we're destroying the evidence. It doesn't exist. It's gone. The original writing of Jeremiah is gone. Does that mean that God's like, oh no, I wasn't planning for this. Jeremiah, that's a big book. There's a lot of things that happen. What are we going to do? No, what did God respond? In verse number 28, God told Jeremiah, take thee another roll and write in it all the former words that were in the first one, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned. God said, don't worry about it, Jeremiah. Take out a new sheet of paper and let's write it again. Now, did God forget anything? No. And so Jeremiah was able to write down exactly what God told him to write. In fact, notice the next verse. Or um, in verse 32, then Jeremiah took another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Nera, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all, notice that word all, all the words from the book which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and there were added besides unto them many like words, including the story that we just read about them burning the fire. God says, go ahead and write that down too. Let's explain what happened to the first copy. And so more things were added. That's pretty good. Now this is a copy. This isn't the first draft. This is the copy. The first original manuscript was destroyed. But did it still carry God's stamp of approval on the copy? You bet it did. Interesting enough, you know something happened to the second copy? Well, let's look. <coughs> Other than Jeremiah, Baruch, Jehudiah, Jehoiakim, and those present... Has anyone ever read the original manuscripts of Jeremiah? No. But here's a question. Does anybody have the written word of God written down by Jeremiah? We do. We have it in our hands. God has preserved and given it to us. We could read about the event ourselves, and we just did. The originals are not necessary if God is the author, because God knew exactly what was Settled. You know the Bible talks about that his word is settled, is forever settled in heaven. Does God have a different Bible in heaven than what we have down here? No, not at all. It's the same thing. God knew exactly what was supposed to be written down. Now, let's see what happens to the second copy. Jeremiah 51, 59. The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sihirai, the son of Nehirai, the son of Messiah, when he went down to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, into Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And this Sahirai was a quiet prince. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come upon Babylon, even all these words that are written against Babylon. So guess what? There were even more. And in fact, if you read Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51, it's all about what God is going to do to Babylon and destroy Babylon. And so he has this written down. Many such words were added. So we're on the second copy. So the first original was destroyed. Now we're on the second copy. Guess what's going to happen? And Jeremiah said to Sihirai, When thou comest to Babylon, and shall see, and shall read all these words. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to Babylon. I want you to take out this copy of the word of God. And I want you to stand out and read it to everyone. Okay? 
Then, then shall thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that shall be desolate forever. And it shall be that when thou hast made an end of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it in the midst of the Euphrates. So guess what? The first copy was burned by a king. King didn't like it, threw it away, but didn't, didn't dissuade God. God remembered. So Jeremiah, let's rewrite it and let's add more things to it. So now they added more things to it and they added included, this included the destruction of Babylon. Jeremiah says, I want you to go take this writing, go to Babylon, read it out loud, tell them that God's going to not change his mind, you're all going to be destroyed. Then I want you to go, as you're coming back, you're going to cross the Euphrates River. I want you to take your copy of the word of God. I want you to bound it full of stone, with a stone, and I want you to drop it in the middle of the Euphrates River. So, you know what? In the middle of the Euphrates River is the second copy of the book of Jeremiah. Now, does that mean that God doesn't have a copy of Jeremiah anywhere? And thou shalt say, thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. I like that thus far. Guess what? There's going to be more added to it in a new copy. But so far, this is what we have in the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah tasked a servant to take the new writings, read it to the Babylonians, then tie a rock and throw it to the Euphrates River. Now, this is going to be important. There goes the second copy of the book of Jeremiah sunk into the bottom of the Euphrates River. We have those words that were put on the roll that was put in the fire. We have those rolls that were uh, words that were tossed into the river. Aren't you thankful for it? We can read about it ourselves. God doesn't need to preserve a manuscript. God preserves his words. That's important. It is the words, plural, of God that are preserved. The word of God, the word of the Lord were inspired, not the piece of paper. Now, this is going to be important as we start building up the rest of the series that we know we have to acknowledge there is no originals. There's no such thing, none, none in existence of the originals. They are all gone. We don't have any originals. However, we could see through scripture that even though we don't have the originals, the inspiration carries through the subsequent copies because God did not inspire a piece of paper. He inspired his words and his words are preserved no matter what medium they end up being put through. Now, as an interesting side note that going to the battle of Armageddon at the end of the Bible, the armies are going to have to cross the Euphrates River. In order to get to the place where they're going to be destroyed, those people are going to have to walk over the word of God to get to the place where they're going to be destroyed. You know, we find a great symbolism there. The same principle holds true today. In order to get to the place of destruction, anybody who goes to that place of destruction have to walk over the word of God to get to that place. What do I mean by that? Well, God has recorded in his word about eternal life and having forgiveness. To go to hell, a person has to ignore and walk over the promises of the Bible. God tried to do everything he could to say, you don't have to go to hell. Here's my word. 
and somebody has to ignore God's word and bypass it. Well, God is recorded in his word about the life that we live today and his blessings. He said how we could have a life, how we could enjoy the life, how we could have the blessings. To ignore his blessings, a person has to bypass, walk over the word of God to their own destruction, to their own detriment. It's amazing in the Bible it actually uses that phrase that they ignored the Bible to their own destruction. God has done everything he can by providing us the word of God so we could see it for ourselves and obey. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? What an amazing God that we have. So as we start off tonight, I know that I'm preaching to the choir. If you've come here on a Sunday night, it's probably not because you're having doubts. Is the Bible the word of God? But we want to double check and nail down that you have confidence that the Bible that you have is indeed the Bible God intended you to have. Now listen, if this is indeed God's words, then guess what? We have every obligation to read the Bible as if it's God's word. You know, you should read their Bible differently than you read a newspaper or a news article. You should read your Bible differently than you do your favorite novel. You should read the Bible differently than you would read a nonfiction book. Because this is God's word. You should read it differently. You should digest it differently. This is God's word who has preserved his word and that he has given this word for a reason. And that whenever we ignore God's word, it's not because of God's goodness. In fact, we have to bypass God's goodness to get to the destruction. Because God has done everything he possibly can by giving his word so we can have the blessings and forgiveness and the life that he intended us to have. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.